The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and the Poots in the studio, Garage Mahal, the home away from home. How you doing today, my friend? Doing good. Happy to be back in here recording a little bit. Things been going well. That's good. I re- I can I point. I'm gonna point out something you did that I really liked. Oh, good. I really liked your unpopular <laughs> opinion. So it's not oh, yeah. totally unpopular. <laughs> the Gillette video. Yeah. Maybe yeah. LOL. Did I just say made me LOL? Made you LOL. You did say that. So I'll forgive you, though, because you're complimenting <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, it actually got a, quite a bit of traction on Facebook. Uh, lots of people were sharing it. I think uh, I think what we learned from that is we should be far more topical. <laughs> a lot of times we just do what we want, but we should actually be a little bit uh, topical, see what's going on and hitting a nerve. Can I, can I, have a conf- I have a confession about this whole thing. What's that? That I, when, I, when I watched the commercial, I was like, this is terrible. I hate everything about it. But I didn't realize like all of my like shaving products because like I still have to shave my neck and stuff because like I get like man neck um, are all Gillette products and they're just all brand new stuff too so (laughs) it's like I can chuck them and buy new ones but it was just like Oh, I feel like less of a man now as I mm. shave my neck with my you feminine <laughs> with man. my Mach three razor, <laughs> which costs probably like forty five dollars. Let's be yeah. honest, razors are insane. What, what was funny about that too, and I didn't even touch on this in the video because we try to make those those videos short so that people can share them and people actually because well, we live in such a headline culture, you it's got to be under three minutes. <laughs> yeah, wait till the one that drops this week, um, or I guess next week because it'll be dropping uh, on Friday this week, but. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. But there's so much we could have said about that, that we didn't get around to saying, but like part of it is like, let's just go back to like the last ad campaign of Gillette where, you know, they're using like women in their underwear who are like caressing the smoothly shaved face and chest of the guy. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like they've risen above anything. They're just, they're just capitalizing. But like I said, um, you know, I think that there's a whole group of people who, uh, are used to calling people on the other side of of the political spectrum snowflakes and all those conservatives who are used to lobbing out snowflake as an insult were acting very snowflake like when they saw this commercial and just losing their minds about it yeah i i, I think there's a simple solution to this whole thing what's that all men should stop shaving that's universal from yeah. now on the, I the think. puritans <laughs> the puritans would approve like you're allowed actually to use, a lot of the puritans just shave we'll say you, the reformers you can shave only with with shears or a straight blade yeah anything like, else and no yeah. you're done that would be good so um that was a long intro and we are the rebels <laughs> you're listening to the rebel podcast um and uh hopefully you're listening on wednesday when our episodes drop but uh we are part of the rebel alliance media 
which uh, includes the Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, which is a podcast that drops on Mondays on our network. And uh, those are uh, podcasts by the Van Brimmer family for your family. So listen to them with your kids. uh, And they teach church history. Right now they're going through a series on the creeds, which has been really good. Uh, so, So make sure you check that out. Tuesdays is the Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. Um, and uh, where they are trying to get people woke in the good way, uh, woken up to uh, Reformed theology, and they're going through a bite-sized Burkhoff series right now that's been awesome. And uh, Scotty and Sandra Rollette, who are basically honorary rebels at this point, they, 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 they've not only been great supporters in terms of sharing and everything, but they've been fe- featured on enough episodes now that they're, uh, they're one of us. And then, of course, you have us, the rebels on uh, on Wednesdays. And then, uh, as we mentioned, and this is one thing I should get to. So we have a whole lot of people who listen to uh, the podcast throughout the week, and we're very grateful. And we have a whole lot of people who support the videos that drop on on our Facebook channel um, and, uh, and our YouTube channel, which you should check out. But uh, uh, there's a whole lot of people who aren't doing both. So if you're just listening to this and you're one of the many people who listen to this on a weekly basis, but you have Facebook and you haven't made it over to the Rebel page, go on over to the Facebook Rebel page, like it, uh, share some re- recent episodes, and actually invite your friends to like the page as well. It's one of the, one of the very practical practical ways you can help us grow. And if you're listening to this on any sort of app, uh, uh, podcast app or iTunes or whatever, go on there and make sure we have a, a review and a rating and that helps us as well. That's all the admin stuff. Um, let's jump into some rebel news. All right. So I, got, I have a good one here for you. Um, and, uh, and this is uh, a Newsweek article. Um, and so I'm just going to read the headline for you. City recommends teaching all genders can start periods in sex ed equality campaign. What? So, so you, know how, you know how some days when I tell you that you're kind of, you're acting a bit, you know, moody. <laughs> well, if you had taken this sex ed class, you could, you could uh, blame it on your, your menstruation, Chris. Um, okay. So seriously. I'm just going to read parts read, of this read article. The because I want to slide. As part of a gender-inclusive push in the United Kingdom, a city council in England issued guidelines to teachers of sexual education courses that young students should be taught all genders can get their period. The Brighton and Hove City Council issued advice to local schools urging sexual education instructors to provide red box bins for menstrual products in both boys' and girls' restrooms. This is this is this is all true. On December third. Uh, neighbor, uh, sorry, the December 3rd Neighborhoods Inclusion and Community and Equalities Committee, which sounds like a horrible committee to sit on. I would lose my sanctification very quickly. I'm going to sit on that stupid committee. Um, they addressed, quote, period positive practices <laughs> that would allow kids born as both male and female to feel comfortable discussing healthy menstruation prior to puberty. The program aims in part to remove social stigma and boundaries that may prevent young people of all genders from obtaining healthy menstrual cycle products and adopting safe practices, the city report says. Hold on, hold on, hold on, I'm not done. (laughs) The council report stated, quote, trans boys and men and non-binary people may have periods. Menstruation must be inclusive of all genders. The new primary relationships and sex education lesson plans take a period positive approach. There is more work to do across all settings to prevent and reduce stigma related to periods and talking about periods. 
You can check this hashtag out, by the way, Pudi. It's uh, it's period positive. Hashtag period positive. <laughs> so if you you want to get on and talk about your menstrual cycle, you can you can do that with that hashtag. Um, so I just like let's just pull out this one phrase: trans boys and men may have periods. Menstruation must be inclusive of all genders. Well, it does explain why I feel bloated every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Yeah, like okay. that's that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And what's what's so this is what made me think of this, or this is one of the things this made me think of is that you know one of the things that often gets lobbed at us as we try to um, not drink the Kool Aid in terms of climate change, right? As we just try to think discerningly, and and you know it, it does the science back it up. Are there suggestions that don't include more government oversight, more government overreach? You know, as we even ask those questions, we get called climate change deniers, science deniers, right? We because we believe in creation and a literal six day creation and a young Earth, uh, we get called science deniers all the time, and and it's by the same people who say boys can be girls and men can get periods. Like who's denying science now? This is ridiculous. Well, this is exactly what I want to say about it. It's like, ask any man who's 40 or 35, 40, doesn't matter what age really, to be honest with you, have they ever had their period? <laughs> and the, the, I, I challenge you to find one that says, oh yeah, all the time, every month. <laughs> With a straight face because it's not true. It just can't happen. It's yeah. like you just said it. It's scientifically impossible. Right. So why are we trying to force this issue? Like, why is this a thing? Because, Chris, there are all kinds of benefits that come from like you can get out of gym class. You can, like, there's all <laughs> kinds of things that boys aren't privy to. This is this is gender inequality. You know, you know what? That's actually the solution <laughs> here is that teenage boys should actually play this up. They should yeah, go full, is, co- full yeah. course with this. Every, every, Make your teacher swallow the reductio. This, this will show how bad I am in health. Every third week, fourth week. Oh man, is that terrible? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is terrible. Don't, you know why? Because men, this is one of the topics <laughs> that men and women just don't talk about. Like, yeah. It's like this is a marriage. This is something that stays in the marriage. <laughs> That's the only. Interestingly, this- <laughs> I this is actually I I take almost uh, a full session on on this in premarriage counseling with people. It, it's it is important, Chris. You got to talk about it with your wife. But that's a but totally only separate, with your wife. Yes, but only with like, your wife. Don't ever talk about this. Like well, I don't no. want to know about anybody else. Yeah. Ever once ever. So, okay. This is, and this is what we mean by, you know, get your, your uh, teacher to swallow the reductio and stuff. If you like, first of all, if you're a Christian and you're in the public education system or you're a teacher in the public education system, you need to, you need to think, you need to think long and hard about how long you can stay in there and and continue to be faithful. But um, that aside, like at, at your place of employment, at your school, at whatever, where this stuff is being taught and espoused, use it, show them the absurdity. Like, Culture is not going to bait, break or bend on this issue until we show them the absolute absurdity of it. Like we're sitting here saying this is absurd, but it's not absurd enough yet for people to reject it, right? Like men are still like, we, we said this on a recent show, like it's been a great great year for men, right? Like we won woman of the year, right? We've won a couple of gold medals in the Olympics. We've won a couple of international sports, sporting events. We're going to um, get killed at the Oscars though. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Go. So... I say that to say, like, you know, until there's a Christian boys basketball team 
or girls basketball team comprised of five dudes who go to church who are just like, you know what, we're going to say that we identify as female just so we can break the, the, the WNBA, you know, of the, of the, uh, uh, public school circuit or whatever. Like those are the things that you just do. Those are the things I would love to see Christians just, just push this, make them swallow the reductio, like show them how absurd their worldview is. Um, and, and keep playing the card. If you're, if you're a student, you know, use your, your menstrual pain boys (laughs) as an excuse not to take a test. Like, and I, and I don't say that to don't actually be looking for this as a way to, um, to help you look for this as a way to, um, uh, push the reductio, like push the absurdity and, uh, and, and force people to see how absurd this is because there's a whole lot of people who would read that article and, and probably be like, well, I think that's silly, but we should be inclusive, right? Okay. Show them the price they're going to pay for this world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. We've, we've talked about this in the past on, on episodes. The thing that's so alarming about this whole movement, it's not even specifically this, this topic, but just this whole idea of inclusive inclusivity is that people are more, are so afraid of being non-inclusive now that we're willing to just sacrifice truth on every front. Right. Like, exactly. yeah, that we know that's wrong. We know that's stupid because let's be honest, you can't actually believe that men can have their period. Right. Um, you can't, but rather than just say that we, to be inclusive, to be unified, we'd rather just say, well, we'll just let this pretend this is a thing. We'll pretend for the sake of inclusion. Does that make sense? Like it's terrible. and, And, and I think I've heard people talk about it like, well, what's the harm? Like, what's the harm? Like, who's this really hurting if we let somebody think that they, and, and my, my, my thing would be number one, we are mainstreaming delusion. Right. So that's the first thing. Like we're allowing boys who think that they're girls to think that they're girls. Right. Like that's harmful enough. And there's enough studies out there that show how harmful that is done from non-Christians. I mean, this is we're not talking about God and his law at this point. We are talking just merely about the the delusion and the harm that that can do. But on top of that, the other thing is this is happening in schools where kids are supposed to get educated. So now your kid who doesn't know anything about menstruation, doesn't know anything about puberty, that's what we rely on education for. Now, hopefully they're being taught in, in their homes. And, and I, I think a lot of the Christian parents that I know are doing a good job at educating their kids. But if, if, if we think that public education is educating people, like look no further than this as exhibit A, that they're not teaching, they're just confusing. So, all right. You had another piece of rebel news. You asked me about the Ben Shapiro, uh, uh, speech and I have not heard it. So tell me about it. (laughs) Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know the, uh, the March for life was held in Washington this, uh, this past week, I guess would be, Mm -hmm. um, or the last couple of weeks. And despite media reports, an overwhelming amount of people showed up 650,000. Funny how it's never covered. Well, it's interesting. The coverage, we should actually do a video on the coverage because they showed pre and after never during. So they like they purposely made it seem like nobody came, but six hundred fifty thousand at least were there. Um, and Ben Shapiro spoke, and he actually responded to our prime minister, um, which I thought was pretty funny. So I'm going to read you two quotes, okay. and then I'll get your thoughts. One is from King Trudeau, <laughs> who said, "Pro-lifers 
are not in line with where we are as a government and quite frankly, where we are as a society. Now, I think he said that in the past. Well, he, he, said that, he said that about a year ago, right? He said that during the, when he was going on his Canada tour for uh, the town hall Q&A meetings, which I think was either over the summer or last spring. So it was not, it was, it was not quite a full year ago. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I remember it's in, I got together with our local MP over those comments. Um, and that was, yeah, that was leading into last summer. So it would have been last spring. Yeah. Cause he didn't even advertise it. I mean, we talked about this when he came to, he came to our city yeah. and neither of us even knew until it was too late to go well the reason is is because they they actually invite liberal supporters that's how they fill their seats <laughs> they they phone people who have shown support who get lawn signs and all that kind of stuff so so they kind of stack the meeting right oh, yeah. jerks. Anyway. anyway so ben shapiro responded to this idea at the uh, march for life in his speech which i recommend you watch because it is he's got a whole bunch yeah. of gems but this is the one i want to read and so directly in quote in uh, confrontation with what Trudeau said, he said, maybe they're right. Maybe we today here are not in line with the rest of society to which I say good. So were the abolitionists. So were the civil rights marchers. So were the martyrs in Rome and the Jews in Egypt. Righteousness doesn't have to be popular. It just has to be righteous. Nice. Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah. Well, well said, Ben. Um, yeah, that's I uh, I I appreciate Ben Shapiro. I I, I like uh, I like him. I, I think he's doing a lot of good stuff. I think as a side note, all of our listeners should pray that God regenerates his heart because imagine the force he would be. Uh, you know, with a regenerate heart, he's a uh, an Orthodox Jew. Um, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's something else. So that's a, that that's a solid quote. Yeah, and and you know, it has to do with a lot of stuff themes that continually come up on our podcast about uh, you know obedience and faithfulness in the midst of a, a culture that's very hostile to it. Yeah, I, I was reminded when I read that is that because we look back on history favorably on things like the civil rights movement, um, you know, abolishing slave, slavery, we look back positively on those things rightly. Yeah, but we forget that during those times they were the minority; they were getting picked apart, getting attacked, getting called names and all that stuff during the time. But in, as history progresses, they're proven right. Yeah. And so it's funny in today, in the context of today, how much we think, Oh, inclusion and all this stuff. But we forget that standing for the truth eventually will be, will be looked upon in a favorable way. I, and I love the way he ended that little uh, quote with, I think all of our churches need to just put this on their somewhere on their wall. Righteousness doesn't have to be popular. It just has to be righteous. Yeah, and it's like, we don't, we're not, we're not out to win any kind of contest for popularity. Right. We're not out to make fr like make friends. We want people to like us and respect us, but that's not our desire. That's not our need or our desire. That's not our focal point. Um, our focal point is being righteous. Right. Even if it means going against what our yes. government tells us. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, the, the word, the words of Jesus come to mind when he says, woe to you when, when all men speak well of you, right? In other words, like if you have a good reputation, you should be really cautious and worried <laughs> that you're probably not doing something right. And the new Testament is just laced with, you know, blessed are those who, uh, are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Right. Um, and, uh, there's all kinds of the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. Don't be surprised. You know, um, all of all of those kinds of verses come to mind with this, and and that's exactly right. I actually there's there's a, a lady in our church who was just talking uh, this morning about uh, um, posting something on social media because she had seen an article or a post about uh, um, kind of 
somebody boasting in the fact that they live in a country where they can have an abortion up to term. And, uh, and so, so this lady in our congregation jumped into the fray and, uh, and it was kind of the first time that she had engaged in on social media. And she said, you know, there's all kinds of fear that came up about, you know, what, what people would think and everything. And, and, and even my wife who, who, uh, works in a very liberal environment who, uh, just a couple of weeks ago because of a social media post where she was, you know, sharing her, her faith and, and, um, the truth of God's word. Um, you know, she, she's been working in a very hostile work environment since putting something out there. And, uh, so I just say all that to say, um, it's not just pastors who need to be bold. In fact, I think a lot of pastors, God, um, convicts the hearts of unfaithful, uh, cowardly pastors because of the strength of, of some very regular, courageous Christians, right? And you think of Jack Phillips and the cake baking situation and some of these individuals, and you think, you know, that's the, that's the sort of everyday courage that it takes um, for righteousness to get its spot in the, in the uh, limelight. So good for Ben Shapiro. I'll, I'll go on and watch that speech. Um, that's good. Um, and it kind of uh, is a great segue into what we're talking about today. So for those of you who uh, have been with us uh, for a while, you know we're, we're right in the middle of a, a little mini-series, I guess you could say. A while back, we did an episode where we talked about what we think the, the North American church is getting soft on, uh, doctrines that we've caved on or... Um, or, or things that the church is failing in, in kind of North America in terms of how they're thinking. Uh, and so we, we've, we've talked about already uh, the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment. Uh, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about um, the biblical inerrancy. Um, and today we're going to talk about social justice. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about how, uh, all the ways we think the North American church is, uh, is kind of failing um, or not thinking properly about social justice. Have you checked out the latest at rebelalliancemedia.com? At the bottom of the homepage, you can now sign up to the Rebels mailing list, so you'll never miss an update. On the blogs and articles page, you'll find posts by Erica Van Brimmer and Ben and Andrew Emery as they write about culture, politics, theology, Christian living, and more. There's P-Nate's Eschatology series page and a new members page. There's a shopping page where you can purchase audio files. More stuff will be appearing there soon. Tell your friends to have a look at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can do even more to help the Rebels by clicking the donate button. Interact with the Rebels on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Today we're going to talk about social justice. This is something that is one of those like underlying things that a lot of people don't realize is an issue in the church because it's so prevalent in our society. It's so prevalent in our workplaces and where we are as a, as a society that we forget that this is something that we're not necessarily called to as, as a church. And so really to help us frame the discussion, this became a, became an issue, particularly south of the border, and a group of pastors got together and actually made a statement about this. Yeah. And so we're going to use their statement to just kind of frame this discussion so that we can go through it. Um, and we would for, like we would uh, challenge you guys just to read the statement so you guys can get a, a good understanding of that. 
So, um, and, and before we jump into that, that part of the conversation, let's just kind of define what, what we mean by social justice. So, I, I mean, it's a term that we use a lot, but um, so uh, Google, <laughs> the almighty Google, defines social justice as uh, a concept of fair and just relations between the individual and society. This is measured by the explicit and tacit terms for the distribution of wealth, opportunities for personal activity and social privileges. Um, I think I think to to kind of make that even more concise, I would simply say social justice is the issues of justice, which are kind of the issues of equality and opportunity um, as defined socially. So when we when we talk about social justice, we're talking about seeking justice as defined by our culture and making sure that our culture is a place where justice can be equally sought after by people of all different types. And so we would be of the unpopular opinion that Christians should not engage in social justice. We should not believe in social justice. We should not be proponents of social justice. We should not be in favor of social justice. And the reason we would say that is because the, the type of justice that Christians ought to be seeking after and pursuing is biblical justice, not social justice. So we cannot allow our society to... Uh, define what justice looks like. And that's essentially what social justice is. It's making sure that justice can be sought um, as socially defined within a particular society. And so we just, as Christians, we should flat out reject social justice in favor of biblical justice. Which I can already feel the comments coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, and, And so the reason I say this is because we live in a society where there are all kinds of things that are perceived as in, injustices that the Bible actually defines as good things, right? So, so for example, I mean, very simple example that all, all Christians can kind of, um, uh, actually, I shouldn't even say all Christians because we're going to get to this next week. But, um, but uh, you know, when we think about uh, social justice, a lot of times we think about equality for um, uh, people of the LGBT community, right? Like social justice is very often linked with that. Well, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as gay marriage, right? Doug Wilson famously calls it gay mirage, right? That that a a union between a man and a man is 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 a mirage. It's a facade. It is a um, a perversion of what God has ordained. So God ordained marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. And so though social justice would talk about the the right for gays to um, experience the same opportunities as as their heterosexual counterparts, um, we should legalize gay marriage. And so we, we would look at that as Christians and say, well, not only is gay marriage not a thing, but we cannot support that sort of justice because that's not biblical justice. It's not unjust that two dudes or two girls can't get married. That's just the way God made it. So that's why we differentiate between social justice and biblical justice. Um, but the way, and so this is why we're talking about this. So we're, we're in the middle of a series where the church has failed on these things. So let me just tell you a, a brief story, I think. And I'll get your, your opinion on this too, but like, wh- why is this an issue in our churches? 
And I think, so for me, um, I, I grew up in a, in a very charismatic uh, upbringing in, in church life environment. And, uh, and I think there was a whole lot of us who came out of a very charismatic 80s and 90s. And, uh, and we were told, so we, we might not have felt all of the things that our parents felt in terms of charismatic expressions of the gifts and charismatic um, feelings of the presence of God and worship services and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet... Um, within that environment, God, through his grace and through his mercy, still regenerated our hearts or still, you know, we were still raised in a Christian environment. So we believed the Bible, believed in God. And as we read our Bible, we see all of the verses about God being a God who stands up for the oppressed, God being a God who cares for the orphans and the widows, God being a God who cared about the slaves in Egypt and, and about inequality and all that kind of stuff. And so we see those things in our Bible. And then you have to keep in mind that we, most of us all went through the public school system. And so in public school and, and even more particularly in post-secondary education in the colleges and universities that we found ourselves, we were learning about social justice. And then as we read our Bibles, we see the issues of justice. And because we grew up in churches that weren't faithfully teaching the word of God, we heard nothing about God's law, nothing about biblical justice. And so all we did was we transplanted the social justice ideals that we were taught in the public school system and we placed them on all of the verses that we saw in our own Bibles about God being a God who cares about justice. And, and therefore, the Micah 6.8, you know, um, do justice, um, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, the do justice became kind of a mantra for a lot of us. And we weren't taught what to do with that, what justice looks like, because we had a whole lot of um, pastors and, and youth pastors and stuff who are teaching us how to feel God in worship but not learn about God in his law. So that's, that's how I think we got here. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. The, the, the problem is, is that we've, we've grown up with a generation and this is, this isn't a blanket statement for every pastor. It's just predominantly, I think the pulpit has gotten very soft on preaching God's justice, God's wrath. We do almost the end, even if we don't affirm the Andy Stanley, like the old Testament doesn't matter thing. We've all been raised in churches that basically have preached that. Right. Even if they haven't explicitly preached that in a, in, in the positive by ignoring the old Testament and just not preaching it, they they kind of affirm it in the negative. Exactly. And just to test that, like how many, how many people who are listening to this have been to a church where they've preached through the book of Ezekiel? Yeah. I've been in church 20 years now and I've never very... I can count on my hands how many times some, exactly Leviticus is never one. I've never been to a sermon that's from Leviticus. I can't wait till you get there this year. <laughs> that's um, be good. But I mean, I just mean like we've all been through Matthew. We've all been through Ephesians. We've all been through Galatians and those are awesome. Yep. But we have a tendency, even when, even when churches in our, in our culture are preaching um, like verse by verse, they're going to, the pick gospels, the books, the you know epistles, what I mean? like exactly right. The Psalms. We yeah. focus on those things, and and sometimes that's that's right when you think what do, like God leads you to what the church needs to hear at this time. But it also means a lot of times we've neglected the other attributes of God that are highlighted in the Old Testament: wrath, justice. And if you don't focus on what God says about those things and who and the attributes of God in those areas, you're not going to have anybody but society telling you how to fill those those roles in. So we think of justice as, as what our government does rather than what God's justice looks like. And God is a God of justice. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you think about like, so, I mean, I'll just, uh, um, 
you know, give, give you one really quick example. And that is we live in a, we live in a society right now where, um, social justice is connected to making sure that those who are poor have all the advantages that, um, that those who are wealthy have. In, in fact, we, we live in a culture where we would say it's a just thing for the government to tax the rich more than the poor so that they can redistribute the wealth of our nation and give the poor the hard-earned money of the, of the rich. And, and we've been so socially trained that even as I say that, there's a lot of people listening saying, yep. And <laughs> right. But um, what's interesting is that the Bible itself says in Leviticus, talk about Leviticus, your favorite book there, Pudi, um, verse uh, or chapter 19, verse 15 says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. <laughs> Don't show partiality to the poor or the rich. Don't do it. Because to show partiality in either direction is to pervert justice. That's what Leviticus 19 says. So you look at that and you say, okay, so if that's what God's standard is, and, and now we're not saying that those who are poor ought not to be taken care of. God's law actually does a, a whole lot of things. It does talk about how charity doesn't actually come to the poor because the government taxes the wealthy and redistributes the wealth. It actually comes because those who are wealthy are commanded by God not to squeeze every ounce of um, every ounce of profit out of their business, but to um, it's it's called the gleaning laws. If you um, if you look in in the Old Testament, where they're they're actually told to leave particular jobs and grain on the ground, right? Grain on the ground, leave it on the edges of the field for the travelers, all that kind of stuff. And so if we were all working on how to apply God's law, the poor would be taken care of, but not by the government, by the churches and by the families. And so, and so this gets into like sphere sovereignty and all that kind of stuff. We might get there in this conversation. We might not, but the idea here is that God's law has a very specific view of justice but it's justice as reflected in God's own character, right? God's law reflects his character. And so God's character is one that does not show partiality to the rich or to the poor, right? It, it, God's grace is of his own sovereign will, has nothing to do with, with um, anything in ourselves, but it's according to his sovereign choice. And, and so too, his law shows no partiality. And so you think about that, whether it's in terms of, of race Right, we live in a culture that would say social justice looks like making sure that those of different races have equal opportunities, and so the government enacts things like affirmative action. Affirmative action is actually the opposite of of combating racism because now all you're doing is you're once again showing partiality based on a non biblical category. So you look at all these sorts of things, and this is where we say that the church has failed because we have allowed this, the society and the culture to define what justice is and what it looks like and how we pursue it instead of God's law. So that's why we think that this is one of the five doctrines that we said the church is failing on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I I think one of the reasons why we got here is because we, we let the church— we basically gave these things to the government. We mandated these things to the government. We— we took the onus of educating our children away from our, our churches. We took the onus of feeding the poor away from our, our churches. We took all those things and gave them to the government. We supported plans 
And we didn't stop when plans like welfare came out, when plans like, um, you know, not universal healthcare, but like they, the idea of like everybody should get everything evenly, like a communist society type yeah. thing. We didn't stop those things. And we're like, no, you're, the government is never called in, in scripture because that's what we're going by as our authority. Right. The government's never called to look after the poor in scripture. The churches. That's right. And, and the families. And, and the families of the church, the people who make up the church. That's so right. in this case, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the business owners in that their responsibility is to look after the poor because God's mandated how to, how to do that in his law. You mentioned the gleaming laws earlier. The book of Ruth is a great example of this with the, with yeah. the redeemer and the kinsman redeemer. But we've taken those things and we've given them to our governments. And we said, now it's your responsibility. The church can just live on its own. And we don't look after the poor. Now I'm saying that uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked to find a church that doesn't have some sort of like ministry for the poor, but comparatively to what we expect the government to do is very different. And I think, I think we need to start reclaiming these things back. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, I, so I, I think, um, you know, we, uh, th- this episode's a lot easier right now than it might have been several months ago because um, there was a really great statement that was actually put together um, by some men that we think very highly of, uh, men like uh, Vadi Bakum and, and John MacArthur and Tom Askell um, and some of these guys. And I think they ha- think highly of us too. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm glad you do. Um, Kidding. But uh, yeah, so the the statement on social justice, which you can find on statementofsocialjustice.com, uh, or statement on socialjustice.com, and we'll link it in the show notes. Um, this came out because uh, the truth is we are seeing some, some I think, some very biblically faithful Christians who had even fallen into this trap. We talked about it on this podcast one time when we were talking about the MLK 50 conference that, uh, that um, the Gospel Coalition put on down in the States. And we were talking about it because we said, you know, to... to Name the conference after a man whose theology was heretical and character highly questionable simply because of what he did in terms of his social justice contributions. Um, I we we thought was was a bad idea and it was not and it shouldn't have been done. And so we were talking about that. And and the Gospel Coalition is that there are a whole lot of people at that conference that you and I have learned from for a lot of years. We even saw the sort of um, the 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 topical way to talk about race and culture um, uh, infiltrated the Together for the Gospel conference last year. And, and, and men that I really, you know, highly value, like Ligon Duncan and, and Tabidi Anawali said some things that I just think are, are, are showing that they too had been infiltrated by this improper view of justice. So anyway, all that to say, this social justice statement is actually quite good. And I just want to kind of go through a couple of the articles. And I would, I would encourage all of our listeners to go on and, and not only read the statement, but actually just sign the statement as well. Um, so article number three. So the first couple ones have to do with scripture and inerrancy and uh, being created in the image of God. And then uh, article three says, uh, article three is concerning justice. And it says, we affirm that since he is holy, righteous, and just, God requires those who bear his image to live justly in the world. This includes showing appropriate respect to every person and giving each one what he or she is due. We affirm that societies must establish laws to correct injustices that have been imposed through cultural prejudice. 
We deny that true justice can be culturally defined or that standards of justice that are merely socially constructed can be imposed with the same authority as those that are derived from the scriptures. We further deny that Christians can live justly in the world under any principles other than the biblical standard of righteousness. Relativism, socially constructed standards of truth or morality, and notions of virtue and vice that are constantly in flux cannot result in authentic justice. And so what I, what I think is um, so interesting about this is that this statement um, shows that there is no justice apart from God's standard, right? And, and this is, you know, this podcast exists to equip Christians to engage culture with the biblical worldview. So anytime, whether you see a Gillette commercial that's telling you what, what uh, true masculinity should look like, or somebody who tells you what the government ought to be doing to bring about justice in the, in the culture, if you're talking to a non-Christian or you're hearing from a non-Christian, your immediate response should always be the exact same every time. By what standard? By what standard? Because if we live in a culture that denies um, the the authority of God's word, denies um, universal truth uh, as it's laid out by God, uh, they they d- not only disagree with the revelation of God, but the existence of God. Then there is absolutely no universal standard. So what one person thinks is just, another person thinks is unjust, and so all social justice really is when it's separated from God's law and God's standard is. A popularity contest. It's it's justice by um, fifty one by the fifty one percent, and that's a really scary thing, because because I've had conversations with people who talk about what justice looks like in a society, and when I ask them, was Nazi Germany just or unjust? And then you get into the conversation, you begin to ask them questions. They're forced into a corner, and I've I've heard like what people would describe as good people. We know none are good, but people people who are just level headed, kind of nice kind people who are backed into the corner of saying no no that was that was good for them because their society went that went in that direction like so that's the world you're living in you're you're living in the world where social justice is determined by the 51% yeah that's a, that's a great a great point that's that's where that conversation always if you play the scenario out all the way always ends up into the like. I I generally try to avoid using the Nazi Germany one, but uh, <laughs> just because because that makes people right away agitated. But like you look at through through any society that's had any kind of well, Holocaust, basically like yep. Rwanda, Nazi Germany, things yep. that have happened Communist systematically Russia. in, in exactly yes, in Russia. Um, anytime all the, all that was the people who were committing those felt they were just doing so That's because right. like you said the scale tipped in such a way that it was more more favorable to do that we we see this in america right now the biggest genocide that's ever happened in in the in the history of the world, well, since the flood, um, is Roe Ro versus Wade. Yeah. And why? Because the scale scale had tipped in such a way, or at least seemingly had tipped in such a way that we felt that this that murdering the unborn is unjust, right? Or is just sorry, right? Um, we we feel it's unjust, but I mean, um, and so what ends up happening is people make decisions and we find a way to explain away all the all the ramifications of it we're completely fine with it and it happens it's not unfathomable to say that any society that allows the individual to start defining what's right and wrong you get somebody who's charismatic enough and wins enough su- support that they can tip that scale again and 
history repeats itself. So what ends up happening 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, we could be in the same situation we were in the 1930s when a man comes along and says, this is unjust that our country is treated this way. Here's what we're going to do as our solution to, to, to systematically fix this. It's not, our, it's not unfathomable to think 30 years from now or 40 years from now, we're in the same situation. Right. Yeah. Um, do you want to read uh, article four there? Um, uh, yeah, I do. God's yeah. law. Yeah. We affirm that God's law, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, more succinctly summarized in the two great commandments and manifested in Jesus Christ, is the only standard of unchanging righteousness. Violation of that law is what constitutes sin. We deny that any obligation that does not arise from God's commandments can be legitimately imposed on Christians as a prescription for righteous living. We further deny the legitimacy of any charge of sin or call to repentance that does not arise from a violation of God's commandments. So, I mean... This is where, um, so there's a couple things in here. I think um, their affirmation is, is good. Um, so it says uh, God's law as summarized in the Ten Commandments and more succinctly in the Great Two Commandments. So they, they are acknowledging all of God's law there. And then talking about the Ten Commandments as a sort of summary, um, and then uh, the two great commandments as a summary of the summary, which is true. If you look at the the Ten Commandments, the first five deal with uh, God and man, like the relationship between God and man, and then man to one another is is uh, the the last five, and then those are kind of summarized by Jesus when he says, "Love God, love neighbor," and that's that the, the Ten Commandments, and then uh, and the Ten Commandments were a summary of the all of the minute laws. So, and, and just as a side note, we've talked about this on the podcast before. So the question is, when we say love God, love neighbor, and this is, this is part of where the church has failed, is we've taken the love God, love neighbor, because that's what occurs in the New Testament. And we've already talked about the divorce, you know, either um, explicitly or implicitly from the Old Testament, is um, when we say love God, love neighbor, we cannot divorce that from the, the summary that it is. Right, love God, love neighbor is a summary of the of the law. It doesn't usurp the law. the 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 question is, what does love God look like? What does love neighbor look like? What looks like all of the laws put together? Right? Yeah, yeah, Rush Dooney basically is is it Rush Dooney? It might. I think it's Rush Dooney. Don't quote me if it isn't. Basically, says the Ten Commandments are the chapter headings for the for God's laws. That's right. Thou shalt not murder is the chapter heading. So the quick summary of what's going to come in God's law of breaking down what that means. That's right. And so that's right. So um, so this is a, this is a good affirmation and denial. And I think one of the one of the areas that uh, the church has dropped the ball here is that we allow. So we take what the culture. So in in an effort to stay relevant, right? And this is the church's like you know one of one of the church's greatest sins of the last decade is is the desire to be relevant, the desire to be like hip, <laughs> it, you know, and it's it's trying to like stay relevant to the culture. And so when the culture starts talking about racism, the church is like, okay, we should jump on that bandwagon. And and racism, don't get me wrong, racism is is bad. But it's not bad because um, the culture says that now this is bad and, and now you can talk about it. We talk about the sin of racism because we talk about the sin of impartial of partiality, right? That's what the what the Bible describes. So um, what I really like about the denial here is we we deny the legitimacy of any charge of sin or call to repentance that does not arise from a violation of God's commandments. So it is actually 
unjust for you to repent of microaggressions, right? It's unjust of you to repent of things that the social justice warrior would call you to repent on um, that isn't a direct violation of God's law. Yeah, so it's unjust for the Presbyterian Church of Canada to apologize for not allowing LGBT weddings. That's right. It's unjust. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, uh, we can go through, I don't, we're not going to go through all of the affirmations or denials, but, uh, were there any other articles that you wanted to make sure that we read? Um, yeah, I thought the I thought the one in the church when I read this statement was good. Yep. Um, you want to read that one? Sure. Uh, do you want me to read the whole thing or? Yeah. Yeah, might as well. Um, so we affirm that the primary role of the church is to worship God through the preaching of his word, teaching sound doctrine. And that's the part I liked it. Sound doctrine. Yep. Observing baptism and the Lord's supper. Refuting those who contradict, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost, we affirm that when the prima, uh, primacy of the gospel is maintained, that it is off, this that yeah, <laughs> that this often has a positive effect on the culture in which various society ills are mollified. We affirm that under the lordship of Christ, we are to obey the governing authorities established by God and pray for our civil leaders. Yep. We deny that political or social activism should be viewed as an integral component of the gospel or its primary mission of the church. Through bo- though believers can and should util- utilize all lawful means that God has provincially established to have some effect on the laws of a, of a society, we deny that these activities are either evidenced by saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given to her by Jesus Christ, her head. We deny that the laws or regulations... Uh, possess any inherent power to change sinful hearts. And I thought that was like... Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I just thought that was... I I almost feel like MacArthur hand wrote that one himself. (laughs) (laughs) um, I just just love the... the, I love the fact that he doesn't make any like specific, like we baptize babies and only like, or anything like that, where it's just like, here's what we all affirm if if we're an Orthodox church. And we, we point out that Christ is our Lord, our Lordship, but then he it very much points out in this part that society, so society ills, as he says, can only be mollified by the gospel. Yeah. And we, we often say like the biggest problem with like, and we, we even disagree on this with guns and things like that. We often, we often say, well, the, the real problem is sinful hearts. Right. And so government mandating laws, crying out to Trump to take away the guns doesn't stop the problem because people are sinful. Right. And I think what this, this part of the statement affirms that the only actual solution to all of the, of society's problems is the gospel. And I love the fact that like it's so post mill and they don't even realize (laughs) it, right? Like what the society need, it needs Christ and it needs Christ to be established as its King first and foremost. And then all of the other problems, as this says, get mollified. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. Um, another article I want to make sure that we read was um, Article 10 on sexuality and marriage. Um, there won't be a whole lot that surprises our listeners here, but there's there's one point that I thought is really worth uh, hammering home while we talk about this issue of social justice. So we affirm that God created mankind, male and female, and that this uh, divinely determined distinction is good, proper, and to be celebrated. Maleness and femaleness are biologically determined at conception and are not subject to change. The curse of sin results in sinful, disordered affections that manifest in some people as same-sex attraction. Salvation 
salvation grants sanctifying power to renounce such dishonorable affections as sinful and to mortify them by the Spirit. We further affirm that God's design for marriage is that one woman and one man live in a one flesh covenantal sexual relationship until separated by death. Those who lack the desire or opportunity for marriage are called to serve God in singleness and chastity. This is a noble calling. Uh, This is as noble a calling as marriage. We deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept. That's like, you know, for for a whole lot of uh, Christians out there, the the next couple of sentences here are you, I get that this isn't scripture, but they are pulling this from the scripture. And so you really need to wrestle with, with these realities, these very true statements. We deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept. We also deny that one's sex can be fluid. We reject gay Christian as a legitimate biblical category. We further deny that any kind of partnership or union can properly be called marriage other than one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant together. We further deny that people should be identified as sexual minorities, which serves as a cultural classification rather than the uh, one that honors the image-bearing character of human sexuality as created by God. It's great, great, uh, greatly worded there. Um, but for those of you who who were uncomfortable with the wording and, and uncomfortable with that statement, I think your discomfort with that does not arise from any biblical affections or biblical understanding. Your discomfort from that arises from your um, uh, culturally influenced mind. And so I would I would just say um, that's what the Bible affirms, and nothing about that. And and here's the thing: if you if you read that, you think about that, and you hear that, and you say that's that just sounds so mean. That just sounds um, so hateful. That sounds so bigoted. Like, can't we be nicer? Can't we be kinder? What about grace? What about mercy? Well, this is the whole point. So you just talked about salvation and the gospel, and and those uh, articles come before this one in the statement. But here's the point: if you classify yourself as a gay Christian, if you um, are uh, somebody who says that human sexuality is socially constructed, then you are actually setting yourselves up to not be able to receive the grace of God because the grace of God is what transforms you into a new creation. And, and verses like 1 Corinthians 6 that ta- lists homosexuality in a long list of sinful things, and it says, such were some of you. Meaning that when you become a a Christian, you're a new creature, you don't take your adulterer tag, your gay tag, your whatever tag into your new uh, standing in Christ with. That doesn't mean you don't still struggle with those things, but you don't identify as those things. Now, this this, uh, statement really leans heavily on race and sexuality and transgenderism and all that kind of stuff. But I would say the same thing for alcoholism. You are not an alcoholic Christian, right? You are not an addict Christian. You are a sinful Christian who has been made new in Christ, and you are no longer a slave to the things that defined you prior to being made a new image in Christ. So I just say that. I think that that's a great statement. 
Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's a great statement too. I, I, I I've signed it. I don't know if you've. Yep. You've signed yep. it. Um, our names don't. We're not popular enough to have our names on the front page. Yeah, ours aren't on the front page. I don't. Ours I did notice Chocolate Knox is on the front page though. What? Yeah, David oh, Shannon Knox, co-host of Cross Politics. Anyway, um, I, I just think I just one last point on what you just said there. I, I love I love when people start saying like the idea of I'm a gay Christian or I'm a gay I'm an alcoholic Christian. We're an image bearer of Christ. So if you if you if you start thinking about like oh well that's just the way I was made false right. I mean like you because you're you're an image bearer of of, of God and God isn't gay. I mean, like, that's right. Yeah. So your sin is what made you that way. You know what I mean? And I, I realize, I realize I said that now 50 minutes in probably people <laughs> who don't agree with us aren't still listening, but I mean, like we need to start calling things as they are. And that's just, that's just sin. You're, you're not that way because of birth or biology, biology. You're that way because you're a sinner in need of grace. Some people are lazy. Why? Because they're a sinner in need of uh, need of grace. Some people are alcoholics. Why? Because they're a sinner in need of grace. Right. Nobody was born that way. We were born into sin, and sometimes our sin manifests in different ways. But that's not the natural. That's not the way God wants to leave us. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. All right, we're running out of time, so let's wrap this up. We won't read any more articles, but I, I would recommend to you reading all the articles. The one on culture, I wanted to get to, but we just don't have time. So, um, I think we've I think we've kind of. Um, exhausted the subject well not we haven't exhausted the subject but we've we've said everything that we really want to say about that and that is that uh we cannot use god's word in order to become a um we cannot use god's word to kind of bolster our own notions and our own agendas and that's what i think uh, the liberal christian movement does with social things like social justice you have to you have to take god's word as it is and as it was intended and you cannot allow yourself to um take god's word and import worldly definitions to make it fit your your current worldview god's word ravages all of us it convicts all of us it it transforms all of us and thank god that it does because the minute god's word becomes a reflection of any one of our standards or our characters we're in deep trouble what we need is god's character and god to be the one uh, to define justice in our society so thank god that he has let's let god's word be our standard for righteousness amen amen